Welcome to the IAH Podcast, where we profile current and former fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In part two of our conversation with Jennifer Ho, Associate Professor of English and Associate Director of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities, we discuss Dr. Ho's best moments in teaching, as well as her technique for creating a safe space for difficult conversations in the classroom. We conclude with an excellent book recommendation for those interested in exploring Asian American literature. I was just curious, in your teaching, what, what kind of moments in the classroom make you most excited about teaching or enthusiastic about that process? I, I love teaching when it goes on autopilot, and I have had the luxury of teaching two classes this semester where I've had those moments happen. One in particular, my Mixed Race America class, has been a joy. And it's the kind of class where I can throw out a topic or a student can raise a question, and then it's just a matter of, of calling on people to respond. And so I'm basically just acting as a moderator for this really vibrant conversation that's happening. And I will say I do act as a moderator because in this class in particular, we're talking about pretty controversial topics, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about race and racism Inter various intersectional oppressions, be they class, gender, sexual, religious, um, hot-button topics that are related to the things that are going on on campus right now, the pro-Confederate protests, for example, um, the town hall on race and inclusion, uh, cultural appropriate, you know, topics of cultural appropriation, especially around Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, the academic and athletic scandals. So we talk about all of these things in relationship to questions of race and racism and institutional power, and those things can get really fraught. Mm -hmm. But it's really great that the students want to talk about these things and that they have opinions and they have an interest in talking about this. They've just been afraid to. Right. I think, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that oftentimes we're afraid to talk about controversial things, especially about race and especially on a southern campus, mm -hmm. right? that does have a particular history with white supremacy and with um, you know this ongoing debate about how to remember the past without having it become glorifying the past, right? I mean, I Correct. think that's, that's really what we want to keep in mind, especially when that past involves, you know, brutality, you know, and, you know oppression and brutality and death. Um, so, it's been really great this semester to just hear the, the students in their most candid ways express how they feel. And it can be emotionally draining, I think, at times right. uh, for myself and for the students. But I, I think at the same time it's really enlivening and enriching because it's, it's a space in which they are comfortable to say the things that I think they may not be saying to anyone else except to maybe small groups of friends. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you create that space that they feel comfortable to open up? I think that's a challenge, especially for an educator or anyone working with a group, is to kind of create that comfortability to where they feel open to take a chance to you know, especially with something like race. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid of saying something that would be perceived as yeah. racist, and then they're automatic, you know. And so. Oh yeah, no, and um, I wish I could tell you that I had a magic formula for making this work. 
Um, I, because I, on the one hand, I don't want to take myself or any instructor out of this equation and say, well, it's just the students, right? Because that's, that's, that's being too overly humble, right, about the work that actually goes into teaching, whether that's the work that I do or, or the work that any other instructor does. So clearly what I try and do in the space of the classroom is to be as open and direct as I want students to be. So in some ways what I try and do is I model for them the kinds of conversations and the kind of comfort level that I have in talking about race. And I just very simply, I give them a vocabulary, right? So on, in the first two weeks, we talk about these terms, right? I right. define race for them. I define racism. I talk about the racial pentagram, which is, and I'm really clear with them that this, I'm not trying to give them definitive ideas of there are five races and here are the five races, but I guess for better or worse, right, in kind of common sense parlance, we tend to talk about race in the U.S. according to five major races, right? Okay. Although I'm really clear with them that that's not necessarily A, always going to be true, and B, has not been true in the past. It's only true currently, yeah. right? Irish used to be a race. Absolutely, right, <laughs> absolutely, exactly. Um, Jewish people used to be a race, mm -hmm. right? And, and we talk especially about intersectionality. We talk about the ways in which other factors like gender and sexuality and religious religion come into play and class. And um, I also tell them that the one word they're not allowed to use in my classroom is they're not allowed to use the word racist. And this is a little confusing for some people because I think that they sometimes think I mean to say that people can't be racist. And that's not what I mean at all. What I, what I have found is that... If a student gets very upset at something another student says and then stands up and points a finger and says, you're racist or that's racist, mm -hmm. the conversation then devolves into now the student who's been called a racist feels like they have to go on the defensive and they have to explain why they are not a racist. And so the whole conversation is now a back and forth about a personal attack, right? right? And we don't get to talk about the underlying issue about what people really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I am, I am careful to tell them that they should have a filter in their head and they should kind of run, run the comment by the filter, right? Because we don't want to deliberately ever hurt someone's feelings. But that's the other thing is I say I'm going to assume that when people make comments, they're not trying to deliberately hurt anyone's feelings, yeah. right? But that people are going to say things out of their truth and, you know, People have to listen to that, but you also get to respond to that. You also get to say, well, this is how it made me feel. I, and I think I've just been lucky. And I, what I mean by lucky is that I've taught this class now four times, and I think students who want to register for a class called Mixed Race America want to talk about these issues. Mm -hmm. I don't know how successful this class would be if it was just a required course that everyone would have to take. Right, because then yeah. people may not have the same buy-in of, oh, I, I'm here and I want to be here. The truth of the matter, too, though, is that it's a service learning class, so it's an EE credit course, which means I get over half of the class graduating seniors. So I'm well aware that probably a third of the students are taking the class because it fits in their schedule and they need the EE requirement to graduate. And that's totally fine. Like, that is totally fine. In fact, if you can get them to buy in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, it's kind of, that's kind of the perfect mix of, you know, about a third of the class, you know, I, you know, this topic, I'm not really that interested, but it fits my schedule. 
and then you know half of the other students are like, okay, I really want to talk about race, and yeah. Looking at your bio on the website, I see that you know you focus your research on Asian American literature. Yes. And say I'm a, I know nothing about Asian American literature. What would be kind of a first step for someone that might be curious about it? Like Are, a novel or okay. Where could someone? Where's the you know the little the? I almost used this the point of entry. Word. Yes. I would say so. If we're at a party and you find out that I'm a professor who does Asian American literature, yeah. and you're like, oh, I've never read any Asian American literature. Yeah. I would say, oh, let me give you the go-to book I've been telling everyone to read, and that's Ruth Ozeki's A Tale for the Time Being. And I would write it down for you. By the way, if anyone's listening to this, it's Ruth Ozeki, O-Z-E-K-I. There you go. And it, the novel is A Tale, T-A-L-E, so not a dog's tail, but as in a narrative, <laughs> a tale for the time being. It's, it's amazing. I could not put this down when I, when I got a copy, and I got an advanced copy through a friend who works in publishing. Okay. So I read it all in a day, and I taught it last year, and my students loved it. It's mind-bending. It crosses time. It crosses space. It has a Hello Kitty lunch bag. When was this written? Was it, is it pretty recent? Uh, 2011, 2012. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's pretty recent. We can link it on our website. What captured you to want to read that the whole day? What was? Well, I'm a huge fan of Ruth Ozeki. So this is her third novel. So okay. I, I regularly teach her first novel, My Year of Meats. And in fact, not only have I taught My Year of Meats nearly every semester, I actually write about it in uh, the book that was just published, Racial Ambiguity in Asian American Culture. So I have a chapter that's half devoted to my year of meat. So I've been a huge Ruth Ozeki fan. So when that book came out, and that's my friend knew I was a huge Ruth Ozeki okay. fan. So he sent me the advanced copy, and then I just tore through it. But she's, she's brilliant. She's a satirist, but she writes in this very lyrical manner, and it's very philosophical, and yet also very timely. All of her novels have an element of the contemporary in it, mm -hmm. but in a way that doesn't make it feel dated, right? right. So in a way that when you read, uh, for example, a Hemingway novel, and it's clearly dated, right, because he's talking about um, the Spanish Civil War, right? Mm -hmm. right? But it doesn't feel like it's antiquated, right? right. He still has the ability to place us right in the center of what is going on from his perspective. And I think that's what that's the the genius of what she's able to do. She has a voice that is both timely and timeless. And she's an Asian American writer. Right. So I think that's the that's the other thing, right? That that Asian American writing for me isn't just an ethnic writing or racialized writing or niche writing. I mean I, I think it could be described in those ways and they're in the the space of my classroom, there's a way in which when I teach A Tale for the Time Being or My Year of Meets, um, whether that's in an intro to Asian American lit class or my Asian American women's writing class, there are clearly themes that I'm trying to draw from that novel and demonstrate to students, particularly in terms of a connection to Asian American history, Asian American racialization, Asian American socialization. But for anyone who just loves to read, Ruth Ozeki is an amazing writer, right? Yeah. And you should just pick up one of her novels and read them, <laughs> right. and you'll enjoy it. Be sure to visit the Institute's website at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. Check out past and future episodes of this podcast on our website or subscribe to the IH podcast on iTunes to download episodes automatically to your computer or mobile device. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter 
at IAH underscore UNC.